Well, this morning, I just want to start, before I get too far into my message, just by praying, if you join me. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love for us, and I thank you for every single person that is here, from the age of not even one up to, I'm not even going to guess, Lord. And I pray that you would be with each one of us. And for those of us now in the, the adults class, I pray that you would speak to us through this morning's message, Lord. And this is such an important topic, Lord. We're talking about prayer. And prayer is, is at the heart of who you are. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each person here. And whether they already have a relationship with you or whether they're just here trying to figure out who you are, Jesus, I pray that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to each one of our hearts. And may this not be my words, Lord. May this be your words. Lord, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be the person who's up here, who's spouting off his own knowledge, his own wisdom, Lord. I want to be your messenger. And so, Lord, as I prepared this week and I've been in prayer, I pray that this would be your words and not mine. So take away anything that people would ignore, anything that's not of you, Jesus. Now speak, and our servants, your servants are listening, Lord. So I thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a, this is a closely guarded secret, uh, but I used to be in the trades, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what trade, because the same thing happens every time. I do tell people which trade it was, and, uh, it, and it goes, oh, you were this. Well, I have this problem. Can you come over to my house and fix it for me? And uh, actually, when I was in trade school, and I'm going to keep this up, uh, one of my t the professors said he loved when he quit being in the trade itself and went to uh, the school to become a teacher because he moved to a new neighborhood and his neighbors asked him, what do you do? And before, it would always be this issue of, can you come over to my house and fix this? And now he's able to say, a teacher. And they, he said, nobody wants a teacher to come over to their house. So <laughs> no offense to any teachers out here, but... But uh, my experience with this was when people would find out, oh, that you do this, you do this, and then I would, I would always get that follow-up question, well, can you give me advice on this? Can you do this? And it would get so bad that there would, uh, sometimes I'd get a phone call, and I'd look at who it was, and I was so excited. I'm like, oh, this person wants to talk to me, and they'd get through the pleasantries, and they'd go, okay, and listen, I'm wondering if you can help me out with this. I have this thing, can you give me some advice? Can you do this? Can you come over to my house? And it, it got to the point where it just felt like I didn't have friends, I just had people that wanted to use me. And, uh, and it was a little annoying, it, sometimes it hurt my heart, and I just, I got a little bit cynical about it, and that's one of the reasons, maybe it's still just a sore part of my heart, I don't tell people what my trade was. So if, if you're one of those few that know, keep it to yourself and take it to your grave, please. All right? Well, you know, what are you trying to say? I'll just leave that there. But this morning we're talking about something, as I even said in my prayer, that is so important. We're talking about prayer. And we have the best model to follow throughout the entire history of humanity, which was Jesus. Jesus was the perfect human, and we're exploring his life and his ministry. And I want to just even start with a simple definition, because sometimes we throw around words, and it can be Christianese, and we don't even understand, or other people that aren't in the church can't understand what we're talking about. So what is prayer? Prayer is simply and profoundly communicating with God. And in communication, it's a conversation. But there's different types of prayers. There's a whole bunch of different ones, and there's different language around them. But just to give a few examples, there's requests for ourselves or others. 
which is sometimes called intercession if we're praying for somebody else, or prayers of petition, or a word I'll use later, supplication, which is a humble asking, or there's confession. There's confession of sin, prayers of confessing what we have done. There's prayers of adoration, adoring God, worshiping Him for who He is. There's prayers of praise, thanking God for what He has done and just who He is. And then thanksgiving, of course, thanking Him for what He has done, for the, the world that we live in, and so on and so forth. So prayer is God communic- or us communicating to God and God communicating back to us in His response. So prayer isn't just something that we do so that God can figure out what we want. God's not this cosmic Santa Claus or this vending machine that we put our order in and then just expect him to spit out what we want. It's actually in uh, Matthew 8, or 6, 8, Jesus said this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. God's God. He already knows what we need. So God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in him. It shows our relationship with him. And it's a way for us to trust in him and our relationship with him to grow. So we'll be looking at how Jesus prayed and learning how we should pray by his example. And we're in the gospel of Mark. And Mark, as I've said before, is a fast-paced gospel. Mark was a young man who was impatient. He wanted to get it out there. He used the word immediately just to, to cover up and transition from thing to thing. He didn't talk about them journeying too much. He wanted to get to the point. And so he doesn't uh, include very many examples of Jesus praying, but the few that he does uh, range from the beginning of his ministry right up until the end. And so we'll be flipping along uh, through the first 14 chapters of Mark. So if you have a hard copy Bible or an iBible, I'd love you to take that out, leave it open, track along with me, or as usual, it'll also be on the screen behind me. So we're starting in right at the beginning at Mark 1, 35 to 37. I'm reading out of the NIV 2011 version. It says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. This is a short but sweet passage. But it shows right off the beginning that Jesus valued prayer. Jesus, uh, for those who are familiar, he only spent three years of public ministry. And he had 30 years of prep before that. But Jesus took time out of his busy schedule to pray. And it shows that for him it was of first importance. It was the most important thing. It was the thing that he wanted to do. And he was so busy doing public ministry, but he would still take times to, to retreat privately in order to pray. And he, he, it was clear that he was so wanted by people that he went off to pray, hidden, he didn't tell anyone, and then he was interrupted because his disciples came looking for him. So Jesus, uh, maybe you find it odd, or maybe it's not something you've ever thought about, but either way, do you find it odd that Jesus, as God, prayed to God? Just, just think about that for a second. Jesus was God, he's fully God, fully human, and he prayed to God. Isn't that a little weird? Isn't that be like talking to yourself in the mirror? Like, can you please give me this mirror? But it it wasn't like that. Because, as I said, Jesus was fully God and fully human. And so his time on earth and his whole ministry was actually done out of his humanity. When Jesus descended from heaven to become a baby in the incarnation, which means in flesh, 
He was fully human. He lived the full human experience. He never once, while he was doing his earthly ministry, used his own power as God. He chose to limit himself to just what a human being could do. And so that's why he was able to learn. That's why he was able to grow. And that's why he needed to pray. And as a man, he prayed to his father. He prayed to his father in heaven. And he was so busy doing public ministry that he actually chose to set aside significant time for prayer. There was actually times when there were crowds looking for him and his disciples, and he ran away in secret with them to try and get some hard-won time just to be in private, just to pray. And so the, a couple of the aspects here that we can see of his prayer just from this is that it was solitary. It was just him and his father. He got up so early, the sun didn't, wasn't even up yet, and maybe some of you are like that too, but uh, I like to wake up when it's actually daylight. But he would get up so early that the, the sun wouldn't be up yet and run away in secret to, to hide, to pray, so he could have that time. And so it was out of sight. It wasn't for anyone else to notice. Nobody else even knew that he was doing this. He wasn't doing it to show off. He was doing it for himself. And then the other thing is that it was too important for him to rush through. The uh, great theologian and pastor and reformer, Martin Luther, actually said this. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Does that seem strange? He's so busy that he said, I have to spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Now, Martin Luther, he was a, he was a prolific writer. He, he wrote so many sermons, I, I don't even count that high. And he did so much ministry, he wrote so many books, and he was so busy that he said, I have to spend three hours a day in prayer. For him, it was so important that he was centered and rooted in his relationship with God. And so the other thing is that it's a daily habit. It, Mark doesn't talk about this, but Jesus would have done this every single day. And prayer isn't something that you necessarily get instant results for. You can't say, well, I, I prayed for every day for a week and I have instant results. But it's something that comes and has culminated over many, many years. And so for followers of Jesus, we gather together as a church usually once a week. We gather together on Sunday mornings and we gather. But the, every single day for a follower of Jesus should be going to the presence of God through prayer. And probably even more than once a day. But if you only come to church... And that's the only day of the week that you pray, that you talk with God, that you hear from God. Then it's like going to the gym once a week and expecting to lose weight or to get fitter. It just doesn't happen. You have to exercise. You actually have to practice this daily habit. And so Jesus shows that we should go to God in prayer every single day. And then fast forward to Mark 9, 28 to 29. It says this. Actually, before I read it, I'll give a little bit of context here. This is a whole passage from verse 14 down to here where there's this boy that's possessed by a uh, demonic spirit. And the disciples can't cast it out. And the, the dad is very upset. And he's uh, upset. And as we've been talking about, the disciples weren't perfect. And they actually were arguing with this man and arguing with each other. And they couldn't figure out why they couldn't, uh, why they couldn't uh, get this demon out of this boy, why they couldn't exercise him. And so the, uh, Jesus comes... And it's, uh, he, as soon as he sees the demon, he, he asks a few questions of the dad, and then he commands it to come out, and it comes out. And so now, they're off in private, and in verse 28 it says this. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? 
He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind can only come out by prayer. Now, Jesus actually prayed in preparation of this. Because in this text, it doesn't say anything about Jesus saw the boy with the demon, and then he, he went aside for a few minutes, prayed, and then came back. No, he, he had prayed ahead of time. He had actually prayed in preparation. He didn't wait for the difficult situation to arise and then pray and ask God to help himself or to help him. He prepared himself ahead of time for whatever would happen. Now, maybe Jesus knew ahead of time, maybe God had revealed it through prayer, or maybe he had just been ready for whatever God would do. But it was clear Jesus had done this, but the disciples hadn't. The disciples weren't prepared. The disciples were so busy doing public ministry, so busy doing these things to stop and to pray like Jesus did. So they got caught up in the busyness of life and they had neglected their daily habit of prayer. And so Jesus' authority, his strength, his power, everything that he had came through prayer. So we, as followers of Jesus, tap into God's power through prayer. Now, as I said earlier, Jesus was fully God and fully human, and this is a, it makes it seem like it's really hard to understand, and it, and it is to understand how we can be one, each of fully both. But the, the clear thing is that Jesus, when he was on earth, he only used human's power. He, he, everything that Jesus did, if you look at Jesus and all of his miracles that he did, we should be able to say, that's possible for me if I lived the way Jesus lived. Because he didn't do it through his own godhood. He did it through surrender to God through prayer. So the power that Jesus had comes through prayer. Everything Jesus did was powered by prayer. Okay, moving on to Mark eleven twenty-two to 25. This is a passage we covered a few weeks ago, but uh, going at it again from a different angle. So in eleven twenty-two to 25, it says this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus starts this out. It's about faith. Jesus prayed with faith. Faith is the key element with prayer to make prayer effective. And prayer itself takes faith. Faith is hope for something that's unseen. Something that you can't know is for sure going to happen. That's what faith is. It's believing in something that you don't know for sure will happen, but believing it anyway. And so Jesus says, in order to make your prayers effective, you have to pray in faith. It's not wishful thinking. It's not going, well, I wish this would work. It's actually believing that it will work if it's in God's will. And faith itself is actually not something that you can drum up emotionally. It's not something you can just jazz yourself up to do. It's actually something that's a gift from God. Now, in uh, verse 23, this, this, uh, if you notice what he says, he doesn't say any mountain. He says this mountain. In the previous verses to this, Jesus just judged the temple. He cleansed the temple. He uh, flipped over tables, and he talked very clearly about how God was going to judge the temple, about how it was eventually going to be destroyed. And Jesus says, if you 
pray in faith that this mountain, the temple was on a mountain. It was called the Temple Mount. And so he's pointing at the temple saying, if you pray that God would throw this mountain into the sea and believe that it will happen, it will happen. Jesus had already condemned uh, the temple to judgment. But this often gets twisted and we say, well, if you pray, God will throw any mountain into the sea. But that's, that's not quite what Jesus is saying. He promises that what we ask for, ask, not demand. He says, if you ask for something from God, if you, what you ask for while believing in God. Now, as I said earlier, belief or faith itself is actually a gift from God. And uh, it's kind of hard to see just in the, the English, but under the meaning of this is that when you actually pray for something and you believe in your heart that it's going to happen, that belief itself, that assurance comes from God through prayer. So if you've prayed for something and you have this feeling for sure that God's going to do it and you know that it's not from you, you know that it's not necessarily logical, you're not just driving up your emotions, but it's this gift from God that what you've prayed for is going to happen. That's what, what Jesus is talking about. He promises that we ask for, not demand, not persuade, not bargain, but if we ask and believe in God through prayer, that it will happen. Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus mentions uh, something here. He talks about uh, praying as you stand praying. Now, the Jewish way of praying was actually standing with your arms raised. They would look up to God with their hands raised and pray to God. And there actually was this, um, was this idea that the world, uh, the effectiveness of uh, God's message in the world was held up by prayer. And so literally holding up as if it was a pillar, holding up the world. But then there's other postures of prayer that we know of. There's, there's the posture of kneeling in prayer. Rather than, rather than looking up and holding our hands up, it's this kneeling. It's this humility. And we'll actually see uh, that Jesus, when he's praying uh, in the next passage, that he actually prays face down on the ground. And so there's different postures of prayer with our bodies. There's a different ways of showing how we're feeling to God, that we're coming to him, that we're asking. One is this bold declaration to God of our hands up, eyes lifted high. And then there's the humble supplication, asking God on our hands and knees. Now, you may need to wonder, why do we need to bother praying? And maybe you've thought this. Why do we need to bother praying if God already knows what we're going to ask for? If God, isn't he God? Isn't he going to just do what he wants to do anyway? Does it matter if I pray? But we actually show, like Jesus actually shows us that God has a purpose in us praying to him. And he won't, just do, uh, he won't just do whatever he wants. Because he actually gives us a few different reasons for prayer. The first is that it builds trust with God. If you pray for something and then you see God do it, your faith is going to grow. You know, I've heard of uh, when people uh, first become Christians, they just pray for something. God does something. They pray for something else, God does something. And so just these little prayers that they're praying, they just see God building their faith, building their trust. It seems like everything they pray for happens right away. And then maybe there's some of us here this morning that have been Christians for many, many years, and you go, well, that doesn't happen for me anymore. Well, maybe it's because you're a little more mature. And so God, maybe, maybe God doesn't always answer every single little thing you pray. But it builds trust in God. God doesn't actually need us, but he wants us. 
to have a relationship with us. So the second thing is that it grows our relationship with him. It grows our, our relationship with him. When we come to him in prayer, when we talk with him every day, it grows and deepens our relationship with us. And here's, here's the amazing thing, is that it includes us in his plans. God has this amazing promised plan to redeem the world. And through prayer, we have the opportunity to actually be a part of that. And it's not just this token, well, just, just stand on the side and watch what I'm doing. He actually says that when we pray, it does things. When we pray for somebody's heart to be changed by the gospel, his spirit moves and works in that person's life. When we pray for somebody to be healed, it helps them. And are they always healed? No, but it helps them. It builds their faith. It builds their trust. It builds them up. And so it includes us. He gives us a meaningful role in the redemption of the world through prayer. Now, uh, I don't have a ton of time to go into this, and I'm actually going to do this as a, a whole sermon later, but prayer actually changes the way God acts. Did you know that? Just think about it. Even just in your own life, when you sin and you make a choice, when you make a bad choice and you ask for forgiveness, God forgives you. Now, he can't forgive you if you don't ask for forgiveness. He wants to forgive you. He still loves you. He still wants to have a relationship with you. But if you don't choose to confess to him in prayer, then that's a barrier in your relationship. It's like if somebody hurts your feelings or does something to you and they don't say sorry. Yes, you may, you may uh, be ready to forgive them and you may forgive them, but you can't have a relationship if the person isn't willing to come to you and say, I'm sorry for what I did. And it's the same. When we pray, it actually can change how God acts. And that's why it's so important. We need to actually pray for things that matter. And the, the next thing is that it's made possible by Jesus because Jesus is our mediator. He's in heaven interceding for us on his behalf or on our behalf. So he's actually in heaven talking to his father and saying, forgive them, forgive them, help them. And the, the next part is that Jesus prayed confidently. Jesus prayed with great confidence. He didn't pray timidly. He didn't pray, well, I'm not sure if God's going to do this. He actually prayed confidently. And it's not a magic wand that we wave and it instantly happens. And it, but prayer is actually also not just the squeaky wheel, that if we think if we just uh, if we just pray every, every single little thing that if we annoy God enough, maybe he'll answer us. No, it's, it's, this, uh, it's this idea that it's founded on the goodness of God. God is like a father who loves his children and wants to give us good gifts. He wants to help us. He wants to be with us. But he wants us to come to him and ask for those gifts. He doesn't want us to act like spoiled children. He wants us to act like kind, loving children. And so when we pray, we can pray in Jesus' name with great confidence. But thump, there are some things that we should ask for that we don't. And then there's some things that we ask for that God won't give us. And so sometimes when we pray, we receive answers we don't want. We find things we're not looking for. And sometimes we have doors open that we do not expect. Sometimes we get, th we get an answer that we didn't want. We ask God to, to do something, and he says no. Or we ask God to do something, and he says not yet. But there are more times than not that we ask God for something, and he says yes. God wants to give us good gifts. 
And I, I might have used this analogy before, but if uh, a little three-year-old asked for a giant monster truck that he could drive around because he wants to crush other cars, a good parent would probably say, no, I'll give you a mini monster truck and you can crush mini monster cars. How's that? But sometimes we ask God for things that aren't helpful for us. We ask God for something that might actually hurt us. Maybe it'll be something that'll distract us from our relationship with him. But we're to pray expectantly and without discouragement. So we're not supposed to necessarily focus on the small things in our immediate futures, but look ahead to the long term and to the larger scale. The world is bigger than any one of us. So we should not only be praying for ourselves, but praying for other people and other needs around us. And then uh, next is that Jesus prayed with a forgiving spirit. He says at the end of these verses, he says that if... uh, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now that's part of the the Lord's Prayer, which is a great example of prayer, and I'll talk about it a little bit near the end, but it actually says that if we're holding unforgiveness against somebody else, if we're bitter against somebody else, if if we're thinking about someone that we're trying to be so mad at that we actually hate them, then God is not able to forgive us. Because God's a relational God. And so if we hold anger in our hearts against somebody that he loves, it's a barrier to our relationship with him. So we can't be at peace with God if we're at animosity with others. And so as much as possible for you, in Romans um, 8, uh, 12, 18 rather, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as is possible. Can we get along with absolutely everybody? Anyone who's gone to school would say no. We can't, but as much as is possible, live at peace with everyone. But we can't hold unforgiveness. So if somebody hurts us, if someone damages us, if someone says mean things about us, someone attacks us verbally, physically, whatever, we can't hold unforgiveness against them. We have to forgive them. We have to do our best to love them. But we can't necessarily be at peace with everyone. Because it takes two people to continue in a relationship. It takes the, the offender to be willing to reconcile, to be willing to do what it takes to rebuild that trust. But especially for Christians or for those who want to follow after Jesus, if we know that we have hurt somebody, we should always be the first to go and apologize. Even if they did something, we should always, if we know of something, a barrier between us and somebody else, we should always go and apologize. And so Jesus prayed with a forgiving spirit, and we should too. So you don't have to be best friends with everyone, and you don't have to be fake. But if you have something against somebody else, you have to go talk to them in love about it. And so now in Mark uh, 14, 32 to 36, this is Jesus' final days on the earth. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says this in uh, chapter 14, 32 to, 30, or to 40, rather. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples, along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. 
Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And I didn't include these verses, but Jesus actually comes, uh, goes again to prayer. The third time, praying the same thing, and then comes back, and they're asleep, and then he says, the hour has come. And he's taken away by, uh, by some soldiers. So Jesus here is at the hour where he's looking at the cross. He knows it's coming. He knows the cross is, is coming right away. And Jesus takes this time to retreat to a quiet place. And notice what he does. Jesus is, we think, well, we know that he's this perfect man. And he's fully God and fully human. And yet he comes and he asks his disciples to pray for him. And it says he's deeply distressed and troubled. The, uh, the, the realization here is that he actually was so stressed that he actually was sweating drops of blood. And that's actually, that's a medical thing that can happen, is that when you're so deeply stressed, you're so concerned, you're so worried, that actually your blood can come out into your pores because your body is so worried and so stressed. And that's where Jesus was. Jesus was vulnerable, and he's hurting, and he's sad, and he takes his closest friends and his co-workers And he shares openly about his troubles and his needs. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He asked them to keep watch and to pray for him. And last week we looked at Jesus and the future. And Jesus told his disciples that this was coming. And he told them to keep watch, to be on their guard, to be ready for what was going to come. And then they fell asleep. And then he came back. And he woke them up, and they fell asleep again. And then he went away again, prayed, came back, and they had fallen asleep. Jesus is coming to them, and he says, pray for me, support me, care enough for me to pray for me. This is my hour of greatest need. And they let him down. They had great teaching. They had this man, they saw him do amazing miracles. And they couldn't stay awake to pray for him as our greatest need. He, he knew what was coming for him. He knew that they were coming. He knew that they were going to torture him. They were going to curse him. And they were going to crucify him. He knew that he would take on the weight of humanity's sin. And that he would be cut off from the presence of his father. Because God and sin can't be in the same place at the same time. So he took on the weight of sin. And he asked them to help him pray for him, to support him, to do what was important, and they just fell asleep. Now notice what Jesus says here in this interaction, not with them, but with his father. He says, if possible, take this cup away from me. The cup uh, in Isaiah talks about the cup of wrath. 
that God is building up this cup of wrath against humanity. That every time somebody sins, that there's a punishment for that sin. It's rebellion and there's this punishment. And Jesus was about to drink that culmination of all human history's sins onto himself. That he was going to drink this cup of judgment and wrath and anger. And he was taking that on. And he said, if possible, if there's any other way that we can save humanity, take this away from me. Now, all things are possible with God. But this was the only way for him. This was the only way for him to save humanity. And so Jesus asks for a different way. But then he submits to his father's plan and his father's will. And he says, yet, not what I will, but what you will. There are some people in some streams of uh, Christianity that actually say, well, you just have to pray with faith. You just have to believe. You have to tell God what to do. You just have to claim the promises of God, and then it will happen. It will happen. God will ha- it has to happen. But Jesus' example here, this isn't a cop-out saying, not my will, but your will be done. When we say God's will be done, we're not saying, well, just in case God doesn't heal this person. Or just in case it doesn't work this time. No, it's this humble submission to say, I don't want just what I want. I want what you want, God. And so, yes, this is what I'm asking for. This is what I want. This is what I'm hoping for. But I'm willing to take whatever you're willing to give me. Whatever is best for you. Whatever is in your plan. Whatever is in your will. And so Jesus prayed according to God's will. Jesus prayed according to God's will. In 1 John uh, 5, 14 and 15, it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked of him. Jesus says that if we pray according to his will, that God will answer. God will do what he wants to do, what his will is. So if we pray according to God's will then it will happen. There are promises in the Bible that make it super clear. God wants the whole world to be saved. That's in God's will. And so if we pray for somebody to be saved, if we pray for somebody, if we pray for God to do something in Scripture that is very clear that he wants to do, he says, I will build my church. If we pray, God, build your church, build this church, and then we say, we humbly submit to do whatever it takes to do that, then he will do that. Because that is in his will. But there are certain things that we don't know if it's for sure in his will. We don't know the exact course. The Bible maybe doesn't have that exact situation. And in those circumstances, we should say, not my will be done, but your will. So we should ask God to answer what his will is for our lives. And so this, this is very important Uh, And I I could preach about this every single week, but the importance of reading your Bible, praying to God, and learning to know more and more who he is. So in order to know what does the Bible say about this certain situation, we need to actually know what the Bible says. So we should, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you want to follow after Jesus, then you should read your Bible and you should pray every single day. Because the more and more you know the Bible, the more and more you can understand what God's will is for your life, for the world, for the church, for other people. 
And so reading regularly, memorizing, doing this, cultivated over years and years, is a tremendous help and will actually increase the depth, power, and your wisdom of your prayers. And in John 15, 7, it says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This, uh, in some of the older translations, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So if the word of God is actually in you and you abide in God's presence through prayer, then he says, whatever you wish will happen. And the reason is because God will have so transformed your heart that your heart will be like his. That you won't ask for things that are inappropriate. You won't ask for things that don't matter. You won't ask just for a bigger yacht. You'll ask for him to do things that he wants to do. And he'll do them. That's the, the beautiful thing that can happen when we're, when we're submitted to him and we pray according to his will. And lastly is that Jesus prayed repeatedly. Jesus prayed here three times for God to take, for his father to take the cup of wrath away from him. If there was any other way, and then he submitted three times. In the same way that Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but he prayed three times and God said no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So God doesn't always answer yes. Now, when I first asked God what I should do with my life when I was in the midst of trades, uh, I felt like he was calling me maybe to be a pastor. But when I prayed about it and asked him about it, he said, wait. And so I finished the trade. I got my uh, ticket. I kept going. And then... There came a day where I was done. I, I wanted to change careers. I didn't care what it was. And I again submitted myself to God in prayer. And I felt like at that time he said, you should become a pastor. And so I, I prayed. I asked friends that were, uh, that were Christians for confirmation. I felt confirmed in it. Went to school, trained, learned. God called me out here, came here, and here I am. I'm a pastor. And now not everyone is called specifically to one certain career. But I think we are all called to do something special for God, using our gifts, using our abilities. But God, when we ask him for something, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says no. But we have to be, doing, be willing to do whatever God wants us to do. So if we're hoping for a yes and he says a no, we have to be willing to submit to that and to keep going with him. And so uh, Jesus wants us to come to him in prayer. He wants us to talk with him. He has this great example for us to follow. And the Bible is filled with promises of what God wants to do for his people. And I'm not saying that makes all of our lives easy, that it makes our lives perfect, because look at the example of Jesus. We follow the suffering servant who lived humbly surrendered, who lived his life in a way that he served other people, but yet we can have great uh, confidence praying for things that God wants to happen. We can pray for God to move powerfully. We simply need to believe and to ask God and to submit to God. His will be done, not our will be done. Now, uh, I just wanted to give a, a helpful tool, and if this is helpful for you, great. If not, then ignore it. But uh, one, uh, one method of prayer that I found useful for myself, even this week I was doing this, is, uh, is through prayer journaling. I find if I, if I write out prayers, it helps me to slow down, focus on what I'm writing. 
rather than thinking about a whole bunch of different things because I find if I just pray in my head, I'm easily distracted. But I pray out uh, one way is this ACTS prayer. So A-C-T-S, which is an acronym. It's great. It's adoration. So it's starting by adoring God for who he is. You can, you can use up the entire thesaurus writing out who God is. Use the greatest language you can and it won't all fit. But work at the best trying to figure out and adore God. You start with worship of him. You start by saying how amazing he is. And then you confess. You confess the ways that you've fallen short. You confess the ways that you've made bad choices, where you've sinned, where you've been selfish. Whatever that looks like, you confess that to God. And then you thank him. I usually start by thanking him for forgiveness because we have this promise that anything that we confess to God, he forgives us for. And so you thank him for who he is, for what he does in our lives. And then the last is usually the thing that when people pray is the only thing they do. It's supplication. It's asking God for things. Usually when we think of prayer, it's this one-way list of, we give God our, our grocery list of what he wanted to do, and then we walk away. Just like if I had, uh, when I had people call me up and say, hey, they just kind of go through a couple of the pleasantries, and then they ask me for something. In the same way that made me feel yucky, it didn't make me feel like the people cared about me, sometimes we do that with God. That we just give him our grocery list, and then we don't wait for a response, we just walk away. But it's through prayer journaling, I find it helpful to be able to write these things out and then to wait. And even wait silently. And if you, sometimes God speaks uh, in our minds, or sometimes it's you flip open the Bible, and God will speak through reading the Bible. But uh, Carrie is, uh, Kirsten is way better at this than me. She's prayer journaled actually since she was a kid. And the amazing thing is she can look back on when she was 13 and praying for things, and then she can see a few years later how God answered that. Or the prayer for a godly husband that she prayed for. And <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know, yeah. She, it was funny because she, uh, yeah, I know. It was funny because she always thought she'd, uh, she wanted to be a pastor's wife. But when she married me, I was in the trade. So she's like, well, whatever, I'll give up that dream, I guess. But God knew. But uh, today at 4 p.m., I, I just want to invite every single one of you. We're going to having a prayer night. I know it's weird calling a prayer night at 4 p.m., but that's night for when it's in the winter and dark, but it's spring now. But anyways, come on out, pray for our church, pray for our community. There's something powerful when we pray together as a people. I know we can pray and we should be praying individually at our homes all the time, but it's an opportunity to get together to, to worship God through prayer and to have him speak to us. Because one of the things that's so important is God longs for people to come to faith in him. God longs for people to come into relationship with him. And he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So may we be those workers who are actually going out into the harvest and praying for people to come to faith in him. So come on out. And uh, as, the, as the worship team comes up, I just wanted to give a few uh, practical ways that we can respond on this morning's prayer or this morning's message on prayer, rather. The first is to read. Read uh, Mark 13 and ask God to speak through it. Uh, and you can actually, if you have a pen, you can even write out Matthew 6, 9 to 13, which is the Lord's Prayer. And both of these are examples of prayer that, uh, that Jesus gives us. And it's not this formula that we have to follow. It's this guideline that we can have to follow. And the second, this should be super obvious, but pray. Pray this week. Uh, and you know what? 
Yeah, those are last week's. That's okay. Sorry. Write these down. They might be, I think the, the slide is wrong, but they should be right in the bulletin. They're read, read Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray. So practice daily prayer this week and join. Join us tonight for our prayer night. On the back, if you got the bulletin on the back of the NMI thing is a prayer or is a sermon notes. There you go. I'm just I'm informing you in case you didn't know. That has the act on it. That should be right. Apparently, I'm not perfect yet. That was last week, so that's okay. So I just want to ask, where are you at in your journey of faith with God? Are you, are you somebody who knows him, who loves him, who prays to him all the time? Or are you just trying to figure out who he is? Wherever you are in that journey, if you pray to God, the amazing thing that will happen is that he'll answer you. I experienced that when I was 16 years old. I didn't know who Jesus was. I prayed to him, and he answered me. So I promise you, if you reach out to God in prayer, he will answer you. Now, would you please join me in prayer this morning as the worship team starts playing for us in response? Jesus, thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love, and you are just so wonderful, Jesus. You are mighty, and you are powerful, and you answer prayers. You love us enough that you answer prayers, Jesus. Just like, uh, just like Barb Kelsey now moving into the Trinity here in town, Jesus, so that we can be, she's close and we can visit her. And Jesus, so many people have been praying for her and her needs. And so we thank you that you have answered yes in this case. And we pray for so many others on this prayer list. I pray that us as a church would be faithful in taking this home and praying through these names, Lord. Whether we know the situation or not, we pray for your healing touch to be on these people. And Jesus, we, we thank you. You are just so wonderful. You are so mighty. You are so strong. And Jesus, we pray that you would move powerfully in our hearts. We pray that you would make us more and more into people of prayers. That this church would be a house of prayer. And that we would go on from here living lives of obedience to who you are, Jesus. So I do pray for the people on this list now, Lord. I pray for those who are in need of physical healing, that you would heal them, that you would be with them, that you would support them. We don't have to pray for your presence to be there, but I do pray that your presence would be felt by these people, that they would know that, that you are with them, that you are loving them, that you are guiding them. So I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And all God's people responded with, Amen.